be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Thank you so very much for being here with us today. This is our official second Sunday back with people present, and uh, you guys have done a beautiful job distancing this morning and coming in in your masks, and the CDC has loosened the requirements a little bit. Once you're seated, then you are uh, able to remove them if you would like to. Uh, we do appreciate so many of you for honoring those things and caring about your other brothers and sisters in the midst of uh, the rampant uprise of so many new cases. Uh, please, please make this continue to make this a matter of prayer. Uh, I know that all, all the Holy Spirit would have to do is just whoosh, one breath, and this stuff is just burnt to pieces. And uh, I'm just trusting God for something powerful and something dramatic to happen. And certainly until then, in our hope, let's be smart Let's be wise in the choices we make, and let's, two things, walk in faith and walk in wisdom. Trust God and just be smart. Do the right thing. Look at your neighbor. Tell somebody right now, say, trust God and be smart. All right. Thank you for those of you that are online and our online campus today for joining us, for logging in. It's an honor to be able to come into your home uh, at this time, whether you're actually live with us right now during our 1 10 a.m. service, we'll be announcing um, in the future, the next few weeks, when we go back to two services, it's great to see some more faces this morning. People are beginning to trickle in. And for those of you that are, are convicted to continue to stay at home, we love you. We bless you. Please stay connected. Stay engaged. We uh, want to make sure that if there are any prayer needs that you have or, or circumstances that we can serve you or help you with, please uh, send us an email at info at victorywired.com or give our church office a call. Uh, uh, contact us through DM on any of our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. We want to make sure that we are connected to you and serving you in whatever way that you may have any need. Uh, we are continuing to lift up and pray for folk uh, in the congregation. You know, it's a crazy day. We had someone have surgery Friday, and I wasn't even able to go because the hospitals won't let anybody visit. And so, uh, but how many of you are thankful that there is no distance in prayer? Absolutely no distance in prayer whatsoever. And so we are committed to lift you up, even though sometimes we've not been able to be together. Uh, we are still, our bonds are in the spirit, and we are, we are one together in Christ. Somebody say amen. Doing a series this month called Sent, actually June and July, so two months, in the summer. And it's about the importance of the local church. It is recognizing the purpose for which God has called us as believers uh, Jesus spoke to Peter in Matthew 16, and he said, upon this rock, the rock was the revelation of Christ's kingdom, R-O-C-K, the revelation of Christ's kingdom. He said, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father which is in heaven has. And that was that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the rock upon which the church is built. It's the revelation of Christ's kingdom. It's upon that rock of revelation that the church is built, and we have a purpose. We are sent into the world. We are called out to influence. Ecclesia is the Greek word which is commonly used during the New Testament period to refer to a ruling class of people, those particularly that were leaders in the Roman Senate. And so when Paul the Apostle is writing in all the letters and the epistles to the various churches, he is calling every one of those locations, every one of those outposts of heaven, he is calling them a ruling class of people sent 
to change the world. Now, don't be afraid of the word ruling because in the kingdom of God, it's an upside down thing. We don't rule from the top down, but we rule by serving people. Come on, let somebody say serve. Jesus said, if you want to be great, then you have to become the servant of all. The, the, the kingdom of God is, is, uh, it is reciprocal. It's the, the, the mathematical principle of reciprocity. You remember in the fifth grade math where you learn to, when you're dividing by a fraction, you would flip the fraction and multiply. You take the reciprocal. Well, the kingdom of God is all about opposite to the world. In the world, it's, it's, you're trying to get everything you can, and you're just stepping on people up the ladder of progress. In the kingdom of God, it's we humble ourselves, and then God exalts us. We give, and then God blesses us to receive. We die to ourselves, and then we come alive with the eternal life of God. And, and when we recognize all of those upside-down things, then we are equipped and ready to be sent to influence and to change the world around us. Somebody say amen. This morning's message is called Life Principles for Sent Ones. We're looking at the book of Acts, particularly um, from a bird's eye view. We're just doing a quick flyover in about eight weeks through this summer, June and July. This is not a dive deep expositional series where you take it word by word, verse by verse, and then chapter by chapter. But we're just sort of doing a flyover and pointing out some things that as the church of God recognizes her purpose as the bride of Christ, there are principles today that we'll learn. All of these very practical, as a sent one, as you move into the community, into the delta where victory is called, we are sent to, to minister to the people of this tri-state area, particularly right here in Marion, West Memphis, Crittenden County, the larger tri-state area, and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. What God started here as a little seed in 1989 is now touching the globe. We have word from people that are literally watching this all over the world. I have the pleasure of hosting my son and his beautiful wife and my handsome grandson, Henry Wade, this weekend. Holly and Henry stayed home, just not quite ready to get the little baby out and to, to meet folk. But my, my awesome son is on the front row this morning. And by the way, just want to say hey to Coach and Donna in Abilene, Texas. Those are uh, Don, um, Holly's parents, and they watch regularly. We love them, amazing people. They'll be coming and joining us later this year when we get to dedicate Henry Wade. So I'm excited about that moment. Somebody say amen. All right, uh, the Great Commission is something that ends every one of the Gospels, four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But then it is the opening of the book of Acts, Okay. The last thing Jesus said in the Gospels was, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth, therefore go. I'm delegating you, I'm sending you as my representative. The church of Jesus Christ is the duly authorized kingdom representative to take the power and the presence of God through the gospel to the world. We're called to change the world. This morning as we look at this, Acts opens up with, what the Gospels close out with. Acts is actually Luke's sequel. The whole Gospel of Luke is written by a physician who is trained in medicine and what they knew at that time, the limited amount of knowledge they had medically at the time. And he continues and picks up when he ends Luke 24. He opens Acts chapter 1, and Luke continues the story. It is Terminator 2. It is 
you know, whatever kind of series of movies that you like, Acts is the continuation of the same story, except now it's not limited to Jesus and 12 men. It's exploded into 120 on the day of Pentecost. Peter goes out, preaches like a man possessed by God, and 3,000 more get saved. The church in Jerusalem by this time has grown to tens of thousands of people. There's a thriving church in Antioch of Syria, and the Spirit of God is now moving outside of just what would be expected, and that is among the covenant people of God. God's spirit and his vision is not just a Jewish thing. It began with that, but that was the seed. And now it's moving to touch all of the nations of the earth. How many of you are thankful that he had a heart for you down that line? Somebody. The text this morning is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is the Great Commission in the book of Acts. It opens this book that we're looking at. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Remember, we've talked about dropping a pebble into a pond, a still body of water, and watching the concentric circles begin to move out. As we move into today's fifth message out of these, we will see how the gospel is beginning to penetrate far reaches of the earth in the book of Acts. I've added an extra text scripture this morning out of Romans chapter 15, verse 4. One verse, listen. It says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Everybody say, that's me. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So Paul is writing to the Roman church and he says, everything that's been written down and recorded through the gospel record, through the prophetic history, through the history of the kings of the Old Testament, through the transition intertestamental period, through Jesus' earthly life and ministry, through the New Testament church and its development and the power of the Holy Spirit being released in people and being poured out and touching the nations of the world. Every one of these things that are recorded and written down are written down for a purpose, and that's to give us an instruction. It's to teach us some life lessons. Now, I come to my one thing. Those of you who know me know that this is a principle that I use every time I get up to speak, and that is I give you one central concept that in the same way I use the metaphor of singing a hymn, we come sing verse 1, then we sing a chorus, then we go back and sing verse 2 to the same tune, we return to, another, to the same chorus, it's the same words, same melody, and then we sing verse 3, and then we go back and sing the same chorus. So my one thing is like a chorus and a hymn. You will hear it, we'll, we'll emphasize where we are, then you will hear the one thing again, we'll have, sing another verse, and then you'll hear the one thing again in hopes that if you don't get anything else out of this message, you leave with the understanding of this one thing. So here it is. Let's read it out loud together. Here we go. The faithful believer will learn something from personal experience. The wise believer will learn something from the experiences of others. Now, I want you to really meditate on that. Let's do it one more time. Here we go. The faithful believer will learn something from personal experience. The wise believer will learn something from the experiences of others. God has built into this whole universe a principle, a system that if we try something and it fails, uh, then we immediately reap what we sow. It's called the law of seed time and harvest. Benjamin Franklin framed that same concept this way. If at first you don't succeed... Try, try again. Now, let me just say this. The beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is failure is not failure unless you quit. 
Are you guys hearing me? The beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is when you attempt something and it doesn't come out with the expected conclusion that you wanted or you thought was going to happen, the beautiful thing is that you can go back and make adjustments. You can get further wisdom. You can seek God. You can look and see what somebody else has done. You can learn from somebody else's example. Now, the reason that we don't just want to learn from our own personal experience Although I do believe that's the best teacher because when I learn a lesson from struggling through something, you can't take it away from me. But I don't just want to have to make every mistake myself. What if I could actually wise up? Everybody say wise up. What if I could learn to pay attention and listen to my parents and listen to my teachers and listen to leaders who possibly might have been somewhere before I have and experienced something before I did Y'all, if we are all just cursed to having to go through every personal experience and learn it all the, as a first-person experience every time, then every generation has to start at a, at a whole new slate, and we never accomplish anything. But the beautiful thing is, is that if I will not just be faithful and consistent, but I will be wise and listen to, I can stand on the shoulders of my great-grandparents who made some decisions and maybe some wrong choices in the middle of some right choices, and I listen to what my grandparents taught me and to what my parents have taught me and what, my, what is happening in the lives of my friends, and I learn to observe and I pay attention. And as a wise man seeking the wisdom of God, I not only learn from what I learned the hard way, but I learn from watching and, and observing the experiences of somebody else. Now, that's a wise saint, a wise believer. Somebody say amen. All right, as we jump into this today, just quickly, I've got a few principles here I want to bring to you. Life lessons uh, for sent ones. The faithful believer will learn something from personal experience. The wise believer will learn something from the experiences of others. In Acts chapter 11, uh, we just ended last week with, with Peter going to the house of Cornelius. The scripture says that he was the head of the Italian band. Now, when we say Italian band, we're not talking about, you know, appearing on television with drums and rock guitar. It was a regiment. It was a band of soldiers. But interesting, it was a group that probably had come from the Roman Empire, and they were uh, in the region. And Cornelius was a God-fearer. He was seeking the Lord, and an angel of God appeared to him, and it said, Sin for the man in, in Joppa. And that was Peter, who was on the roof at the time, of Simon the Tanner's house. And we told you the story last week where he has a vision and the sheet comes down and it's filled with all matter of what the law of God or the law of Moses calls unclean things. And the voice of the Lord speaks to Peter and says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Three times Peter responds because the vision appears to him again and he says, not so, Lord. No, no, I can't do that. Nothing like that's ever even come into my mouth. And finally the Lord says, don't call unclean what I have cleansed. Okay, And it's specifically not dealing with a dietary thing, but it's about who Peter is about to meet. Because Jewish people considered Gentiles as dogs. Considered anyone that was outside of the covenant people to be unclean. And so God was about to move through Peter and show him he's a faithful Jew. He's a completed Jew now. He knows Jesus is the Messiah. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered. And the angel of God shows up and appears to him. And then here comes the people who've been instructed by the angel of God at Cornelius' house to go get Peter and bring them back. And he says, he's going to preach or teach you something that will bring you eternal life. It will bring you to salvation. 
Peter goes to Cornelius' house, and he begins to speak. And it's the craziest thing. As soon as Peter starts talking, the Holy Spirit fell on this group of Italian soldiers and their family and their friends, and they're gathered in that place. And Peter's shocked, and he's going, now wait just a second here. These people aren't Jews. They're Gentile dogs. But yet... The Spirit of God that is in me, that same Spirit fell on them that day the same way it fell on us at Pentecost. And Peter basically backs up and he says, Who am I to deny that the work of God is not also for these people just like it is for us? Because they got the same Holy Ghost that we did. You know, God will shock you sometimes. He'll bless some folks that you wouldn't think would ever be in line for God's blessing. Come on, somebody. Those that are outcasts. How can we relate this to today? We live in the Delta where there is still the, the, the byproduct of generations of racial tension. And we need to make sure that we are not harboring any kind of resentment or bitterness or prejudice toward any group of people, red, yellow, black, or white, poor or educated or rich or, or whatever you think that the people are that are against you or that you want to hate There is no room in your heart as a spirit-filled believer, as a man or a woman of God, to think like that or feel like that. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching so good. They call him in, and, and the church is upset about it. The scripture says in Acts chapter 11, verse 1, Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. Everybody say the word criticized. Oh, it's just, it's just harsh. It's hard. It's a, it's, it's a rough word. The Jewish believers criticized him, and they asked the question, you entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them, they said? In other words, you did what? Now, these folks have stepped into the fruit and the taste of a whole new age and a move of God in the new covenant, but yet they're still thinking the way they lived in the old covenant. Their minds are bound by a traditional kind of thinking and they're they're in some dissonance, they're they're in some cognitive dissonance where they're wrestling with what the way things used to be and now obviously the way the Holy Spirit is moving among people outside of their own set of limitations. Now let me just say this, God didn't set that up. People, men, Jewish men who had hearts that were good, who had hearts that desired to fulfill and keep and not break the law of God, took the original commandments of God and they erected, this is not just me making this up, this is Jewish history, they erected what were called fence laws, okay? So let's say that the law of God is is contained in this particular circle here. In order to keep the people of God from breaking the laws of God, they erected another fence around that and says, if you will not break across this, we know that we won't break the law of God. But what it did was it put so much pressure and unrealistic expectation upon people that already didn't have the ability to keep the law of God in the first place. How many of you know you can't keep God's law apart from the Spirit of God? Come on, somebody. And so now the Spirit of God has come and he says, I'm going to break you guys out of these man-made religious traditional ideas that I never put on you in the first place. It had shifted among a group of people when when the roots of legalism were laid down. And when Jesus came on the scene, we saw a specific group of Jewish people called the Pharisees. I almost said the Philistines, Lord have mercy. The Pharisees... And the Pharisees were highly hyper-legalistic. 
about everything. And I'm not going to take time to chase the rabbit to explain that because I just don't have the, the, the minutes to spare this morning. But I just want to say to you that God is breaking them out of that from the traditional mindset. The, the scripture says in the gospel of Mark that the traditions of men will make the word of God of no effect. The word of God is all powerful, but there's one thing that can squelch what it can do in your life. And that's traditional thinking that you get in your head in between what God is trying to do with his word and in your life. Come on, somebody. I got one, one in the amen corner that agrees with me this morning. We took our staff to Catalyst in Atlanta a few years ago, and we heard Chuck Swindoll speak, and he said, tradition is the living faith of the dead. That's a good thing. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. There are folk in churches in Crittenden County this morning that are bound by traditionalism. There are good traditions of the word that we want to pass from one generation to the next. But simply putting our trust in what granny did just because that's the way granny did it, that kind of thinking will kill you. Are you hearing me this morning? And now, the whole point is this. They basically just listened to Peter and he said, look, look guys, I'm going to tell you. I, I know that this is the way we've always thought all these years. But I got in there and I just started preaching the gospel. And as soon as I did, the Holy Ghost, the same one that filled us on the day of Pentecost, came into these Italian Gentile believers and these soldiers. And he said, I just had to back up and go, okay, if, if God's going to pour out his blessing on them, who am I to say that this is not the work of God? And you know, some still didn't like it. Some criticized him. What is my life lesson for sent ones? Look at this. Put it up on the, on the wall, if you would, for me, please. Read it out loud, everybody. No matter what you do, someone will criticize it. Look at your neighbor and say, no matter what you do, someone will criticize it. My mentor, Dr. Kelly Varner, wrote over 60 books. I was with him for about six and a half, seven years in the 1980s. And it, he, he mentored me in the word. And we were riding around in his van one day. And he said, Michael, I'm going to tell you something right now. Whatever you do, somebody's always going to criticize it. Now, you can let that do two things to you. You can withdraw and you can become someone who is always trying to please everybody. Or it can set you free. He said, it can tighten you up and make you a slave to the expectations of other people. Or it can set you free to be fully who you are and who God has called you to be. And he said, I hope that you will let it be the latter that you will be who God has called you to be come hell or high water because no matter what you do, somebody will always criticize it. Come, some, somebody put your hand together. Come on. Don't let that bind you. The faithful believer will learn something from personal experience. The wise believer will learn something from the experiences of others. Acts chapter 11, further down in the chapter, we, we see point number two. Biblical multiplication requires disciple making. Disciple making is the pattern that God reproduces his image in people. The kingdom of God grows as we're willing to just sit down and do life with others and let them see us live a day-to-day -day life, not just put on a church face uh, at 1045 on Sunday morning and act a certain way and talk differently. But it's Monday through Friday and Saturday afternoon. And, and Sunday evening, and it's how you behave and how you treat your spouse and how you raise your children. Your example does more to advance the kingdom of God any day than your words that come out of your mouth do because people will watch what you do and it shouts later, louder than what they hear you say. Somebody say amen. The scripture says, when the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch 
when he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy. And he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were, everybody say many people. Many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. Saul was this guy that was holding the coats when Stephen was stoned. He, he had a pocket full of warrants on the, on the Damascus Road, headed to capture as many Christians as he could to take them to jail because he was determined to snuff out the influence of this Galilean preacher named Jesus. And on the Damascus Road, Paul has an experience where Jesus appears to him and he says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, now, what are you talking about? He said, well, you've done it to the least of these, my brethren. You're doing it to me. And so Paul has this dramatic transformation. Jesus knocks him off of his donkey. And and Paul, his life has changed. His heart is melted in the presence of God. And and the, the life change begins. And Saul, which means demanded, becomes Paul, which means little one. How many of you know God can move into a person's life and transform and change who you are in order to make you who he has called you to become? Somebody say amen. Now, this is what I want you to see. As we look to this, the principle is this. Doing life faithfully and consistently with others is the greatest thing that you can do to change the world. It's important. Let me just finish my scripture. I'm sorry. It says, when he found him, Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch, and both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Now, they were labeled Christians, and it was not a nice term. It was a pejorative term. The literal word that is used in the Bible, the Greek word here for Christians, literally means little Christs, because these people were so filled with the Holy Spirit that they were just going around pouring out joy and sharing their testimony at what God had done in their hearts and and unbelievers would see it and they would just in simple faith trust God and miracles would show up on the scene. That's what I want you to see that if we can just learn how to be led by the Spirit of God and trust Him in faith, God will do things in your life that you can't do by your own ability or your own strength. He will take your natural skills and your consistency and he will put the Holy Spirit, which is the super part. He will add his super to your natural and he will bless your efforts to influence the people around you for the sake of the kingdom of God. Somebody put your hands together and let's give the Lord praise. Come on. Doing life faithfully and consistently with others is the greatest thing that you can do to change the world. I'm going to tell you something. Parents, your most powerful example in raising champions is not what you say to your children, but what you do in front of them. Do you hear me this morning? I've seen churchy folks raise hellions, and I've seen people who don't even know the name of Jesus raise champions that do great things for the kingdom of God. What's up with that? Because they're just living a real life. They're just being consistent people day in, day out, being disciplined. You know, the folk that have just just a human kindness to them. And I've seen Christians that claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit that are just mean. They just make me want to slap somebody. Come on, somebody. Help me. Now, present company excluded. I'm not talking about anybody here this morning. Seriously, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not, but it, it, it just, it, it amazes me to see folk who think that they are really something, and then the product, the, the fruit of your life is the kids you raise, and folk have a great big profession of faith, 
and never live it at home and come to church and do all the right things at church, but then they raise hellions for children. Now, even good people have kids that are astray for a while. It's not about where they are right here at this moment, but it's about ultimately how things turn out. And you can just keep trusting God and keep praying. And you may have lived a life of an example and maybe have a child that's strayed for a period of time. But ultimately, let me just tell you something. What you have invested in them and put into them day after day, week after week, month, year after year, it's going to come back. It's going to come back around. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Because he saw his mama, he saw his daddy trust God in a hard time. Stand up and be able to, with faith, uh, in, in the middle of circumstances when people were doing him or her wrong. And were able to forgive and were able to get wisdom and how to make great decisions and, and, and make, make the decisions for things that would bless the family. But how to, how, to, how to just treat people the right way. How to be respectful to folk that are in authority. How to... I had some new neighbors that moved in next door to me and the, the two boys were out there in the yard and I just asked a question and both of them were yes sir and no sir. And so when I saw the dad, I said, I'm gonna tell you, you've raised a couple of fine young men. And, and just you could just tell just how he had just spent time with them and, and how important dad is. Thank God for moms. I mean, we, we'll never, ever, ever, ever uh, discount the work of moms, but so many times problems are in homes because dad's not present. Or maybe he's there in his body, but he's not present in his spirit, in his heart. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing me this morning? We have more ability to change the lives of people just by doing life faithfully and consistently with others. That's the greatest thing that we can do to change the world. My last point this morning is that persecution comes with a price. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Listen, and I'm going to begin to wrap this up. It says, about that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod heard how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for the public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, get it, everybody read it out loud with me, the church prayed very earnestly for him. Now, you got two stories here. Both of them are difficult. One of them is harder than the other. James was one of the very first early martyrs of the church. Matter of fact, the Greek word witness is the Greek word martyrion, where we get the word martyr. And I just want to say this to you. I want to believe, I do believe, I do believe that if I were ever called on to renounce my faith in order to stay alive, I believe that by the grace of God, I would have the strength to be able to say, no, Jesus Christ is Lord of my life and then lay down my life. I mean, I, 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 I don't want to think about that. I, I, I enjoy life, but I'm going to tell you something. There really truly is a blessing of, of eternal goodness and bliss in the presence of God on the other side. And, and if something gives me the ability to graduate that in a little bit early, then man, I'm fine with that. I'm ready to. But let me just back up and remind you, for 99% of us, 99% of the time, the question is not, am I willing to die for the Lord? The real question is, are you willing to live for the Lord? Are you willing to live every day of your life for the Lord? 
That doesn't mean that you've got to, you know, get you a Bible and take it to work and roll it up and be religious and pound people over the head with a bunch of churchy language. No, no, no. That, it's nothing to do with any of that. You get plenty of that in the Delta here where we are. It's just about being a real person. Just, just having a real life. Even in the middle of your struggles, you just let people know that, you know what? By God's grace, I, I missed it here, but I'm going to get up. And as long as I don't quit, it's not a failure. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. God's grace comes into that little platitude and it begins to change things dramatically and he shows up and he takes my natural and he puts his super with it and he does supernatural things in our lives. Life is filled with both triumph and tragedy. I stand here before you this morning and it's only by the grace of God that I'm still alive myself. Drew and Holly and Henry are with us this weekend and we've obviously had conversations. Drew, we're sitting out on the patio Friday night and he just looked at me and we listened to some music and he said if there's anything in you left of guilt because we didn't see it dad he said if there's anything in you left of mom's death and you feel like it's your fault you need to get rid of that because it's not true that's a lie my son's ministering to me and I I want to tell you, it's, it's crazy how the enemy will use the circumstances that we face and this turn them around in order to try to weaken you even more. And I'm grateful. Life is filled with triumph and tragedy. If I'd read that in the fine print, I, I probably wouldn't have signed the contract. I probably would have said, no, I can't do that. But when it came time, when it came to it and the things that I faced, God's grace has carried me. And I'm thankful for that. The rest of the chapter Just a real quick little story. Peter's in prison. He's chained between two soldiers and there's two at the door that are guarding the door. So he's got four soldiers that are guarding him and an angel of God shows up and wakes him up. The scripture says in the King James that he smote him in the side. How many of you would you you like to be awakened out of a deep sleep because an angel of God comes along and kicks you in the ribs? Now, I don't know how it happened, but he woke Peter up, but the two guards didn't wake up and the bonds... The chains slipped off of Peter and the angel says, come on, he had to poke him. How many of you know sometimes the Holy Ghost has to poke us, get us awake out of our sleep? Come on, I'm going to shake you until you get up out of your slumber and you wake up because I've got a job for you to do. And he, he, the folk are back at a little house having a prayer meeting, praying, oh God, let, let the apostle go. Let him, let him be free. We need him so that this movement of the Holy Spirit can continue. Lord, release Peter from prison. And they're praying and, oh, they're probably moaning and groaning. And, oh, God, let Peter go. Mm-hmm. And the scripture says the angel of God took Peter up out of that jail and he walks out of the jail free and nobody even sees it happening. And all of a sudden, the angel says, this is as far as I go. He says, go to the iron gate. Peter gets to the iron gate, and the gate to the city opens up of its own accord. How many of you know when you're leading and you're being led and you're being obedient to the voice of the Spirit, God will open doors that otherwise couldn't open for you? The iron gate opens. He goes and he knocks on the door of the house where they're having the prayer meeting. 
And those women are in there just wailing and mourning and crying out to God. And a little teenage girl named Rhoda, read this in your Bible. This is in Acts chapter 12. Rhoda goes and answers the door and she sees Peter and she's so excited. She slams the door back and she runs back in and she says, hey, hey, ladies, hey, listen, listen to this. Peter is out at the door. And they said, oh, hush, sit down. Come on and help us pray. Now I want you to catch this. Sometime we put so much of our energy into praying about something we don't even believe it's happening when God brings it into our midst. I want, I want to tell you all something. I was in my car the other day. I was coming back down College Boulevard from West Memphis. And I looked over here to this property and I saw the fountain. And I said, God, you are so good. I, I said it out of my mouth. I said, I can't believe that's sitting over there. Because I saw it so many years ago and just kept trusting God and kept praying and kept believing. But you know what? Peter's standing at the door. Your prayer's answered. We're in what we were trusting God for years. We, we were in. We were in a stupid facility that was still standing because the termite held their wings together. And we painted fresh tiles every week because the rains would come and we would pray there wouldn't be a deluge because we'd go in there and 45 tiles would be down on the floor and be the biggest mess you've ever seen. And I'm so over my time this morning, but I feel like the Spirit of God is in this. Let me finish. When you're praying a prayer, don't be so tuned in to what, you, what you're doing that you fail to recognize the blessing when it shows up. So Rhoda... Rhoda goes back again and he says, no, and she said, no, 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 ladies. No, I'm telling you, Peter's at the door. You know how they responded? Oh, no, no, no. They finally acknowledged that there is something there. She's not just making it up. And they said, no, no, honey, it's just his angel. Now, I'll just be honest. I don't know what in the world that means. I can't explain it. I don't know what it means. It's in your Bible. And she says, no, I'm telling you, Peter is at the door. And she goes and opens the door. Here comes Peter. Everybody's shocked. They're having a prayer meeting for him to be released and then they're shocked out of their gourd when he shows up, set free from prison. What is, what is my point with this whole thing? Folk, let's don't be praying about something and then miss it when God brings it to us. There's something in front of you this week, a step of faith you need to take. There is a, there's a decision that is before you. Don't keep putting it off in the name of being spiritual or praying. Take the blessing as God swings open the iron gate to the city. Somebody put your hands together and give the Lord praise. The faithful believer will learn something from personal experience. The wise believer will learn something from the experience of others. I pray in the name of Jesus that you've heard something today that has been a blessing to you. And in this moment, I just want to remind you that everything that was available to those New Testament believers, you, you don't get a junior version of it in 2020. You don't get a watered-down Holy Spirit. You don't get something that is any, any, in any way less than what they had moving and operating in their hearts and their lives. Many times we don't see that kind of blessing of God because we're, we're disobedient. We just, we're praying and the blessing is there and we're ignoring it. So this morning, I just want to remind you that if there's any circumstance that you're facing in your life that the Spirit of God is big enough, powerful enough he can do anything. If you just believe, things that the world calls impossible become possible to you if you trust him and if you have faith. Trust God, work hard, never quit. That's my family motto. Trust God, work hard, never quit. 
So this morning, let's bow our hearts together for a word of prayer as we close this message. And these life lessons for sent ones. Holy Spirit, we come to you today and I ask you that the things that you have taken and placed like seed into the hearts of these people that are in this room, those that are listening, Lord, over the internet, I ask you, oh God, to grow those seeds, to transform us, to change us. Lord, help us to be real people that are consistent day in and day out and take our natural and put your super with it and do supernatural things that will influence people for the kingdom of God. Thank you that you've sent us to this city. Thank you that you've sent the church to the world. Lord, today there are people under the sound of my voice that may have never crossed the line of faith and they've heard the great things that God can do if we just simply trust you. The most powerful in the very beginning of that walk of faith is by putting your trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. If you've never done that in your life, you never crossed that line of faith, that is available to you today in this room and on this broadcast and the internet whenever you're listening to this. God knows where you are in space and he knows where you are in time, even if you're hearing this a year from today's live date. If you are in a place where you're saying, God, I need you, like we sang this morning, my one defense against the attacks of the enemy, my righteousness. Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. This morning, if you're a believer that already knows him and you're just saying, I need you and you'd like prayer, or if you've never crossed the line of faith and made Jesus Lord of your life, I just ask you just to slip your hand up right now. Anybody in this room? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. Yes, there's a hand here. Anyone else? Yes, thank you. All right, let's pray. Father, I want you to pray these words with me. Father, thank you for this word. We receive it in faith. I take hold of the promise of God. I turn from my past and I turn to you in faith. And I ask you to forgive my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, change me. Save me. I trust you. Be Lord of my life, I pray. It's in your name. Everybody said, Amen. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning.